Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. The, uh, you know, in some ways, I think that uh, Thanksgiving gets a bad rap. We, you know, the worst of the scenarios gets portrayed as common in our culture. I hope you enjoyed the time with family. I hope it was a blessing for you to be with loved ones. Um, you know, it's in, in a way, it's kind of like a foreshadowing of what it will be like in heaven for us to be together with family at a great feast. It's a good thing, and I hope it was a good holiday for you. Um, during the week when I prepare for the sermon, Dory sends me a, uh, an email and says, what are you preaching on? And I responded to her, Matthew chapter 13. And then when I read my email this week, I was kind of uh, shocked when she printed the whole chapter. And so, <laughs> lest you think we're going to do the whole chapter, um, please relax. This is going to be selected scriptures that we'll be looking at today. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. The main point that we'll be discussing today is that as we hear the parables, we were made to see where we stand in relation to the kingdom. The gospel of Jesus is this. There is a great God who created all things, both seen and unseen, including in this creation is man. We were created to enjoy him, both him and his kingdom. Like Adam, we've rejected our relationship with our, with our Father. Rather than live under his rule, we've decided to live by our own rules. And the result is that we have a broken relationship with God. The Bible calls this sin, and it is a debt that we cannot pay. And the result is that we are eternally separated from him. Jesus came to restore that relationship. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and thereby earning the righteousness of God. Yet he was crucified and died a death on the cross. After three days, God raised him from the dead. He appeared to his disciples when he was taken to heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God. Jesus died in our place, satisfying the wrath of God. His righteousness was given to us, and on the cross, our sins were placed on him. When God looks at Christians, he sees you through the righteousness of Christ, perfect, sinless, loved. For all those that accept and believe in the sacrifice of Christ and are willing to submit to both Christ as Savior and Lord, a change comes over them. You are a new creation. We are adopted into the family of God. We are called sons and daughters. We again have the right relationship with God, and when we leave this world, We will go to be with God forever and ever. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the invitation to join the kingdom. Now, please take a moment to reflect on what I've just told you, because it will influence your understanding of today's message. We will be looking in Matthew 13 at some selected scriptures, considering the parables of Jesus. But before we start, take a look at this. Before we start looking at the scriptures, it'd be helpful to review how descriptive phrases are used in our language. If in the course of a conversation I said to you, okay, her room was as clean as a whistle, you would not go looking for a whistle. You would understand I was describing a room that was neat, clean, organized. If I said to you something like, they fought like cats and dogs, you would not be looking for furry creatures in a room. Instead, you would understand that I was describing the intensity of a fight. 
I would be communicating a point using a comparison. And those comparisons are called similes. They're common in our culture. They're a figure of speech that involves a comparison of one thing with another. They're helpful. It makes something more vivid or emphatic. A parable is a practical story often framed as a simile. It's important that you understand that. It illustrates a spiritual truth. Now, a parable is more than just a cautionary tale. This is not Hans Christian Andersen speaking morals to us. Okay? It's not a cautionary tale. They are meant to teach us what is true, what is important, what is valuable. Some examples of well-known biblical parables would be the lost sheep, the prodigal son, and probably the best known, the good Samaritan. When listening to a parable, it's very helpful to listen for the main point. The main point is the main point of the parable. And today we'll be looking at seven of them, of which I'll be grouping a few of them together. It's going to be done on a very high level. My purpose is not to focus on the details of each parable, but for, rather for you to see them as a collection of points that point to one thing, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in speaking these parables, is pointing to himself. In these passages, Jesus will be giving us a better understanding of his kingdom, and with that understanding, hopefully, a deeper longing for both him and his kingdom. Now, do you remember the message of the gospel that I presented to you just a few minutes ago? Let me ask you this question. How did you react to that? What were your thoughts about it? Just quietly, in your heart of hearts, be honest with yourself. What did you think of the gospel? As I read the parable of the sower, please recognize that this parable describes all of us. The question is, what kind of soil are you? Now listen as I read the parable of the sower. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rock where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. My first point today is that the kingdom of God is a narrow kingdom. The gospel is an invitation to join the kingdom of heaven. This invitation is made widely to all of mankind, but only some will respond. After listening to Jesus speak, some of the people would have walked away wondering, why was Jesus giving farming advice? They heard, but they could not perceive. Likewise, I think some of you may be wondering why I am quoting from an ancient book 
You've not heard the message. It's been snatched away from you. It's unimportant, not even remotely relevant to the issues of your life that you're facing today. At the end of your time today, you may be walking out of church thinking that you've satisfied God this week. You've now paid your dues and you've made him happy. You're free to pursue your own passions and pleasures without regard to any claim that Jesus makes on your life. If that is true, it may be that the father of lies has come and snatched the truth away from you. For others, this is a familiar parable. Though it may, be a, may have been a while since you've last considered it, you may have once received it with joy, but that phase of your life has passed. The realities of life have overtaken the gospel. You may be, be sitting there hoping today that I will share with you good spiritual nuggets, practical insights that may make your life better. If this describes you, you may be rocky soil. Still others hear this message and put it aside. You think it's interesting, but you're really more focused on the practical things of life. Your finances, maybe your relationships, your career. You may reason that the gospel is good, but what does it have to do with the things that really concern you? If this describes you, this may be, this may be an indication that your life could be choked with thorns. But lastly, some of you hear the good news with a sweet joy, an inner smile. You embrace it. You tell yourself it's good to hear this again. You may reflect with some gratitude back to the first time hearing this message, hearing the gospel. Jesus describes this person as good soil. It is the belief and dependence on the finished work of Christ that is the gospel. That is the good soil. If this describes you, be patient. God is at work in your life. In time, you will bear fruit, a crop worthy of your master. Remember, we no longer live as citizens of this world, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're honest with yourself, your reaction to the gospel should tell you a lot about yourself. The question is, what kind of soil are you? Remember, the gospel is the invitation to the kingdom. It is the only way to have relationship with God. My next point is that the kingdom of heaven is a growing kingdom. Not only is the kingdom of heaven a narrow kingdom, but it's a growing kingdom. Listen as I read to you verses 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, Notice that in the kingdom, that the kingdom is a growing kingdom. From a small and seemingly insignificant beginning, something great is happening. That is the illustration that Matthew is speaking of. A plant that so dominates the garden, it dwarfs, it overshadows. 
it is the one thing you would see if you were looking in that garden. We are entering that season of Advent, a time when we celebrate that the king has arrived, yet he does not come as a triumphant leader, but rather as a baby, small and vulnerable. And as that baby grows into maturity, so the kingdom grows until one day it will dominate all. This is not a hope, it is a truth. I want to encourage you to read your Bibles, the Gospels, the book of Revelations, others. They all point to this truth. Christians understand this is the good news. We know how the story ends. Jesus says, behold, he is coming. Excuse me, John in Revelation says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Do not lose hope. Despite what you see in God's kingdom, it is advancing. His plans will not be thwarted. It grows without your efforts. Be encouraged. As the second half of the parable instructs us, not only is God's kingdom growing externally, but internally as well. Bakers, you will recognize this truth immediately. When making bread, one of the smallest ingredients that you may add is the yeast. In general, in general, without that one ingredient, nothing will happen. Yet this one thing significantly changes everything. As yeast is to flour, so the gospel is to our lives. There are no areas of our lives that it does not touch it changes us. As you know, part of the membership process is the public sharing of testimonies. And it's been so encouraging for the last three weeks to hear the testimonies of the Bergens and of Polly about how their lives have been changed to explain that once what was foolish is now the most precious things in their lives. The gospel changes your life. Jesus changes your life. The shame of the whole process of um, testimonies is that you as the audience do not always get to hear everything that they share. As an elder candidate, I've been sitting in on those interviews for months now and listening. And there's so much more that is shared about how Jesus changes their lives. Another example of how Jesus changes lives is the ceremony of baptism. Of all the imagery, one of the things I focus on here today is that it is in baptism that you are demonstrating a changed life. You start as one and you go down and you die and buried with him and you come up as resurrected. You are a new creature, a new creation. We are children of the king. The question I have for you is that as the gospel changes your life, how is the kingdom of heaven growing in your life? How is the kingdom of heaven changing your life? These are good things to ponder. Next, the kingdom of heaven is not only a narrow kingdom, it is a growing kingdom, but I would add, it is a valuable kingdom. Look with me at verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. In both cases, all is sacrificed to obtain the object. The treasure and the pearl. It was, and I may add, continues to be the most precious thing in those men's lives. However, the emphasis of the parable falls not on the finding, whether accidental or the result of long diligence, but on the overwhelming response that is made to the discovery of the treasure. In each case, the finder sells all to take possession of what he has found. With our lives, we declare what we believe is valuable. There's a woman that I used to buy coffee from, and I learned from her that her brother had recently died. I read his obituary and had a chance to speak with her about his life. And in both cases, it was made very plain to me that his passion, the thing that he loved most, was his car. It was from the 1970s. He'd rebuilt it, polished it, restored it, and on special occasions, he would drive it around. And there in the newspaper was a picture of him in the car. He loved a machine. It was what he poured his life into. It was his priority. It was above all. It gave him purpose. It gave him value. But it wasn't the gospel. Now, contrast that with the Mackeys. Their family that we as a church are supporting that want to move to Japan. They want to live in a country that is foreign to them as missionaries with the express desire to work with the local church and to reach others with the gospel. Why would a young couple take years to learn a new language, to raise money, to move away from family and friends, culture and country? Why would they pay such a high cost? It is because the gospel is the most important thing in their lives, and they want others to know about Jesus. Listen as Paul describes the kingdom, describes this. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What does the kingdom cost to you? What is it that you no longer do because it interferes with your love of Christ? Or to ask the question, the question differently, what is it that you've started to do at the exclusion of other things so that you may grow in your love for the Savior? Now, I'm not saying that we should not have hobbies. I had another illustration here that involved cats, but in the interest of time, I thought I'd cut that out. But in both cases, our priorities should not be with the things of this world. What makes them tragic is that others are investing their lives in things that will pass away. 
But as the parables point out, the kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything for. There is great reward in submitting to the redemptive reign and rule of Christ. And this reward is greater than anything that the world has to offer. It is better than our interests, our hobbies. The kingdom that Jesus calls to is better than our money, our social position, and even our families. He is, he is supremely satisfying in such a way that if you lose everything in this world, but you gain the kingdom, you've made a happy trade. Do you know what the definition of an idol is? It's that one thing that you hold in the highest of regards. At your core, it's the one thing that you would be willing to sacrifice everything for. If as I'm describing the value of God's kingdom in our lives, you are mentally fighting with me, it may be that you're bumping into an idol. It may be that there is a thing that you deemed to be more important than God. So, let me repeat myself and examine yourself. Knowing Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. He is more important than your family, your career, your finances, your relationships. He is above all. That is the pearl of great price. So, let me ask you this question now. With your life, how are you demonstrating that Jesus is the most important thing? To remind you, the invitation of the kingdom of heaven is the gospel. It is narrow and valuable. Next, I'd like you to consider that the entrance into the kingdom is a selective process. Not all who are part of the kingdom, and not, excuse me, not all are a part of the kingdom, and not all will be joining the kingdom upon their death. Let's look at the parable of the weeds and the dragnet together. Listen as I read verses 24 through 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in the gathering of the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, move down to verse 47, please. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
In the first parable, Jesus is explaining that there are those among us in our culture that sound and look like us, but they are not children of God. They are the imitators. Christ calls them weeds planted by the evil one. Not all who call on the name of Christ are going to be going to heaven. Earlier in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21, and I'll read it to you, Jesus says, he addresses this very scenario, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In both parables, the wanted and the unwanted are mingled together. There will be a process of selection. Listen as Jesus explains this parable. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all the causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In the place there will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. One could rightly conclude, how do I know which I am? A wheat or a weed? Am I a good fish? or one that is discarded? The answer lies in the invitation. It lies in the gospel. I again ask you to recall, in your heart of hearts, how did you respond? What kind of soil are you? After the parable of the sower, Jesus started all these... And he, after the parable of the sower... Jesus starts the remaining parables with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is for our encouragement, for our understanding. It is so that we will not be deceived by the imitation, by the imaginations of man and believe in a made-up kingdom. When we die, we do not float around with wings and play violins and sit on clouds. That is an imagination. Jesus tells us what it will be like. He speaks truth. And so in conclusion, let us review. The gospel is the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. How do you respond to that invitation? The kingdom of heaven is a narrow kingdom. What kind of soil are you? Do you hold Jesus with the highest affection? The kingdom of heaven is a growing and valuable kingdom. How is it changing you? And the kingdom of heaven is a selective kingdom. What kind of fish are you? Join me as we pray. Holy God, We thank you for your word. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you, Father, that um, we celebrate you during this time of year of Advent, Father. You are the gospel, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done.
And we pray that your word would go forth and do its work in our lives. It cannot be stopped, Father, for our good and for your glory. May your people praise you everlastingly. May we praise you. We thank you, Jesus, in your holy name that we pray. Amen.